have to strike a balance. You're listening to the news on RTHK. AM, FM, and live online. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Tuesday the 8th of February. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk on Radio 3. China's private services industry grew at the slowest pace in five months. The Kaishin Market Services PMI index fell to 51.4 in January from 53.1 in December. That's the weakest reading since August as a surge in COVID-19 cases... And curbs on social gathering hit new business, consumer sentiment and, and employment. Japan and the US have reached an agreement to ease Trump-era tariffs on Japanese steel. The US will suspend its 25% levy on steel imports of up to one and a quarter million tons a year from April the 1st. However, a 10% tariff on aluminium will remain in place. Meta Platforms said it may have to pull its Facebook and Instagram services from parts of Europe unless the EU and US can reach a new agreement over data transfer. The previous transatlantic data transfer pact that thousands of companies relied on to transfer data between the two continents was struck down by the EU Court of Justice in 2020 over fears citizens' data isn't safe once sent to the US. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Quentin Webb at the Wall Street Journal and Iris Pang from ING Wholesale Banking. With a view from Japan is Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. And do please get in touch with any questions or comments. Text 6393 5925. Email moneytalk at rthk.hk. Post our Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Or tweet us at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk! On Wall Street, U.S. stocks started the week lower after putting in their best weekly performance since December over the previous five sessions. The S&P 500 index dropped 0.4% to 4,484. The Dow gave up gains of over 200 points in the final hour of trading to end just one point higher at 35,091. The Nasdaq fell 0.6% to 14,016. Shares of Meta Platforms, the owner of Facebook, slipped over 5%, leaving it 30% lower since it reported earnings last week. And shares of Peloton surged almost 21%. And reports that Amazon and Nike could be interested in buying the fitness equipment makeup. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index advanced 0.7%. The UK's FTSE 100 climbed three quarters of a percent. Hong Kong stocks ended Monday slightly higher after being in negative territory for most of the day. Sentiment was hurt by the surging number of COVID cases in the territory and the ongoing border closures. The Hang Seng rose six points to 24,580. Technology shares fell with the Hang Seng Tech Index slipping 0.9%. Alibaba dropped 4.5% after it filed in the US to register 1 billion new American depository shares, representing about 36% of its existing share base. The move suggests that SoftBank, which holds a 24.8% stake in the e-commerce giant, could be preparing to sell some of its shares. And SoftBank reports its earnings today. 
Chinese oil and gas stocks jumped as the price of crude oil hit a more than seven-year high. Sinoc rose 4.2% and China Oilfield Services added 6%. Mainland markets rose on the first day of trading in the year of the tiger. The Shanghai Composite Index climbed 2% to 3,430. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is close to a seven-year high at $92.95 a barrel and already up 20% now for the year. Gold is trading 0.7% firmer at $1,821 an ounce. European government bonds have uh, continued their sell-off after Klaus Knott, the Dutch central bank governor, became the first member of the ECB council to say publicly that it should raise interest rates this year, warning that eurozone inflation would stay at 4% for most of this year. The yield on Italian 10-year bonds rose 10 basis points to 1.84%, back to levels reached in April 2020, shortly after the coronavirus pandemic hit. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield was unchanged at 1.92%. And in the currency markets, the euro is trading at $1.14.4, the buck's worth 115.1 Japanese yen. One British pound buys one dollar thirty-five and a third cents and ten Hong Kong dollars and fifty-five cents. And yesterday, the PBOC fixed the yuan at six point three five eight zero. Now that's the biggest divergence from expectations on record, as it tried to keep the currency on a downward slope to help support the weakening economy. And in offshore markets this morning, the yuan is at six point three six and a quarter. Bitcoin rose 6% to $43,800, the highest level in a month, and up more than 25% from its January lows. And let me just give you an update on how Asian markets uh, are looking right now as we start a new week of trading here in uh, here in Asia. The SX200 is up about 1%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan up about 0.6%. Cosby in South Korea has risen 1.1% at the open. Futures markets indicating a fall of about uh, 30 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. Nine and a half. Let's welcome our guests in our Queensway studio. We have Quentin Webb, Asia Markets Editor at the Wall Street Journal. Morning, Quentin. Good morning, Peter. And on the phone, Iris Pang, Chief Greater China Economist at ING Wholesale Banking. Morning, Iris. Morning, Peter. Let's start here um, in Hong Kong. Um, as we heard earlier, Hong Kong has reported 614 COVID-19 infections on Monday. That's the highest daily number since the pandemic started. There's also around 600 preliminary positive cases. Only 150 cases could be linked, suggesting a significant number of local transmission chains across the community. Over the weekend, there were reports of supermarket shelves being stripped bare of essential goods such as vegetables and prices soaring. And Financial Secretary Paul Chan said on Sunday, Hong Kong has to contain the latest outbreak as quickly as possible in order to stabilise and support the economy. And he said they've once again dealt a serious blow to the economy. Um, Iris, as the, the economist amongst us, what sort of serious blow to the economy are you anticipating now? In terms of GDP, I am expecting a contraction in the first quarter, given that the number of cases is now uh, still rising. I expect that there will be stricter um, 
social distancing measures imposed in uh, maybe maybe uh, on uh, on Thursday, and then um, uh, this will be mainly affecting catering and retail, and unless uh, the financial secretary can release some money for unemployment benefit, which Hong Kong doesn't have this kind of benefit as of today, um, then we 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 may have uh, uh, we we might uh, turn this contraction in GDP into a flat GDP. But I'm not optimistic on this. And could it turn into a recession this year? Um, it depends because, uh, for example, a technical recession required two consecutive uh, contraction uh, GDP quarters. Uh, it it then it requires another quarter of uh, of contraction, which I don't expect. So it may not be uh, a technical recession. Quintin, how, how dire do you think the situation is here in Hong Kong at the moment? Um, well, just thinking from a market's perspective, it's not, um, you know, that material because so much of the Hong Kong market is actually really, as we know, kind of dominated by mainland Chinese companies. Mm. But, of course, there are sectors that are going to suffer the more Hong Kong-focused sectors of the market and, you know, things like travel and hotels, for example, and, and retailers with a large footprint in Hong Kong. Yeah, and we need, presumably, a relief package pretty pretty soon, don't we, to try and help those businesses that are suffering and, as Iris says, uh, the employees as well. That would certainly be helpful, yes. And I guess the other thing to say is that, of course, you know, the worse this outbreak is, the, the further back one has to push a, a date of a kind of opening of the border with the mainland, and so that has a knock-on economic impact too. Iris, why is such a big difference between the impact of this in the US compared to uh, and here? I mean, we have the same monetary policy. Um, obviously, it's been going, the pandemic's been going for the same period of time. You could argue maybe even longer here in Asia. But yet the US has pulled through. We saw from those job numbers on Friday, it's creating new jobs. The economy seems to be moving uh, ahead, and this latest wave of Omicron doesn't appear to really have damaged the U.S. economy. Whereas here, it's causing a, a huge impact. Why such a big difference? We have to be careful when we compare the two economies, and when we say that uh, the U.S. is actually recovering well. Um, I, I actually think that the first thing that U.S. have done is that it pour a a lot of money to uh, unemployed during the first two rounds of COVID, and and those monies actually exceed the um, median salary of of workers. So they actually quote unquote earn more than than their their jobs uh, with the unemployment benefits. So this is one. In fact, on the economy, they spend more than they did in the past. And then, uh, now with slight recovery, uh, they, they, some of them haven't tried to find their jobs. They are still relying on the benefit and the others are trying to look for jobs because now the job market has fewer supplies than before because some people are still living on the unemployment benefits. So uh, wages are climbing. Um, 
until wages climb to a stage that it's actually uh, equalize or wipe off the benefits of of the uh, unemployment benefits, then uh, we'll see wages down again. So it is not. It is still not a complete process yet in mm. the U.S., so uh, we really can't compare. But is there but something Hong- is there something we could learn when we look overseas? I'm not suggesting that we do here what they did in the U.S. and pay people even more when they're unemployed than when they're working. But at the moment, we have no unemployment scheme at all. So isn't there some middle ground we could do here to try and help people who are losing their jobs? Yes, that's what I I think it, it is the the uh, one possible way to do it is to offer some um, unemployment benefits, and this is this is I think this is the start of unemployment benefits in the in the legal system in Hong Kong, and but but you know when it comes to non-emergency, uh, but you have to include it into the. Um, uh, legal system, it comes to a very difficult uh, rounds of talks in the local. So I hope that at least this stage will be an emergent unemployment benefit. Okay. Quentin, in terms of the markets, also obviously a big difference um, between the US and, uh, and Hong Kong markets as well, although we have started to see US stocks waver, haven't they, at the, at the beginning of this year? That's right. And so a big question at the moment for the U.S. stock market is how um, well the big tech giants who've fueled so much the recent rally will hold up as interest rates start to rise. Bond yields have already risen, of course. Um, in a sense, Hong Kong doesn't have that problem because, you know, the big tech giants in Hong Kong, as we all know, have already been hammered by the yes. regulatory crackdown in China. So if anything, you know, the consensus seems to be that they're closer to the end than the beginning of that process. And given that valuations now look relatively modest, maybe the, you know, the next way is up for those stocks. What do you make of some of these movements? We're seeing extraordinary movements, aren't we, in uh, like Facebook, Snap, PayPal, uh, moving 20% in a, in a day, Amazon 11% in a, in a day. Um, but these aren't penny stocks. They're some of the biggest companies in the markets. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it, what we're seeing? As you say, yes, it is extraordinary. So it's very rare to see these moves where, you know, $100, $200 billion plus of market value is added to a company or wiped off a company in the space of a single day. Um, it is a little bit hard to explain. I think some of it is to do with the fact that these are still growth stocks, so sort of small tweaks to your perceptions of growth trajectory can make a big difference to your valuation. And then there's all this other kind of uncertainty in the background. You know, we don't quite know yet where inflation will top out or where interest rates will top out. Um, And so, you know, you put all these things together and the market seems to be very, very jumpy at the moment. It doesn't say much, though, for what are supposed to be efficient markets, though, does it? Because we're supposed to have all the information available traders and investors are then supposed to say take a stock discount you know take that information discount back all the future cash flows and come up with a valuation for the company except two hours later that valuation's 25 percent lower it, it doesn't seem to be working does it, these efficient markets i think that's right i think it, it, it's hard to square this with a kind of strong form of the efficient markets hypothesis so you would probably say that some of this too is about momentum trading you, you know so some of these stocks say for example a, a 
stock like Netflix, you know, kind of gathered a lot of momentum on the way up and thus was quite vulnerable to a large correction when it suddenly proved that it was harder than they expected to continue adding subscribers. Iris, how much do you think this movement is down to investors suddenly having to reassess uh, the central bank's stance on monetary policy? and in particular on fighting inflation. We've seen, obviously, uh, the US really uh, take a much stronger stance now. Last week, we saw for the first time uh, the ECB, Christine Lagarde, talking about their interest rates having to rise this year. Do you think this is accounting for some of this volatility that we're seeing? Um, actually, this topic has been around for quite some time. So I don't think that this is really, really the reasons for the volatilities. Um, I I think that there are other reasons. For example, um, uh, you we see that the banking sector's uh, uh, shares uh, share price are rising, uh, which is actually coming from the the expectation of interest rate increase in Hong Kong. So um, I think. We will see. We'll continue to see the the market moving uh, in in the di- from in the direction that we are in a mixed environment. That interest rates is rising, benefiting some um, sectors and hurting some other sectors. And we have to keep in mind that, as Quentin has has mentioned, that many of these. Um, these companies are actually Chinese companies and their businesses, main businesses are in China. So we have to look more than the monetary policy, uh, for example, uh, looking for policies working in, um, in, in China, for example, anti-pollution, etc. Quentin, uh, financials here in Hong Kong. We've got HSBC, Standard Chartered, close to two-year highs now. Is it is it time to, to maybe start looking at these as interest rates rise and bond yields uh, rise? Is, is it going to be the day for banking stocks? Well, as you say, and as Aris was saying, it, it has already been a, a very strong run for the banking stocks here. Uh, you can see that globally too. So if you look at some of the big Japanese banks, for example, their share prices mm-hmm. run up quite a lot. A lot of these companies are very exposed to um, interest rates effectively because, you know, when global bond yields rise, when interest rates start to rise, they can charge kind of um, – higher rates to customers for loans, they can make better net interest margins. Uh, so that process is already underway. These stocks were very unloved. And as Iris says, this has helped fuel a bit of a kind of uh, reshuffling in the market where some funds have been redeployed out of these very kind of growthy stocks and back into the financial sector and, and, and you know, the energy sector as well as another uh, industry that's benefiting at the moment. We're seeing the negative side of all of that, of course, in the bond markets. Government bond yields have continued their sell-off, particularly on the periphery of Europe yesterday. Italian, Greek, Spanish bonds all um, all fell sharply. But we've also got problems in the credit markets as well, haven't we? We've got uh, corporate bonds, uh, the, the spreads there starting to blow out again. That's right, yeah. So some of the moves in the government bond markets have been pretty striking. So I think you mentioned the Italian 10-year bond yield. Now, that has doubled in 
the last couple of months, effectively. So this is one of the things the European Central Bank has to weigh. You know, there's increasing pressure on the ECB to raise rates this year, which until recently was something that they were not thinking of doing. Um, but they will be very cognizant of the fact that that's going to put pressure on the weaker members of the eurozone. Iris, the, uh, the PBOC, though, of course, is moving in the other direction. It's under, under pressure to lower rates further. What, what are you anticipating there? Okay, uh, I, I am expecting um, more cuts in the seven-day reverse repo uh, and one-year LPR. And uh, this, these cuts will last maybe until the end of third quarter. And then if COVID uh, uh, can uh, subside, then we may see some uh, flat monetary policy actions. That means no actions after the third quarter. But really, really depends on the development of COVID infection in China. And we've, we've got people talking about maybe the, uh, the, the lockdowns that we're seeing, the stringent lockdowns could last at least until the autumn of the 20th Party com, uh, Congress. What sort of impact is that going to have if they last that long? Um, I, I, have to, I have to emphasize that the so-called lockdown in China is not locking down the whole China. Mm. It's um, targeted, it, isn't it? Yes, it's targeted and very localized nowadays. It actually uh, turned to locking down a whole city from locking down to a very small area. So when we talk about lockdown and the impacts in China, we have to be very clear that what we are talking about is not locking down the whole China. It's only locking down a very localized area, which may not even affect production, uh, manufacturing ports. It only affects ports when cases are found at ports. So we shouldn't be uh, o- over um, concerned about this. And the so-called economic impacts are, are very uh, uh, from this lockdowns actually a limited as a way that it is it is even more limited than than the than the situation now in Hong Kong because of the small area, very small area lockdown in China. Quinton, final word to you. What about the impact on the markets on the mainland of of these uh, sort of targeted lockdowns that we're seeing? Well, I guess, you know, there is some effect on the Chinese consumer, you know, and so there is some extent to which the kind of rebalancing of the Chinese economy towards the consumer may be slightly delayed. So that potentially has some impact on consumer-related stocks. But, you know, Chinese exporters are going great guns. Um, Mm. This seems to be accelerating the drive for kind of Chinese self-reliance. So, you know, kind of helping this dual circulation goal. So all in all, the the kind of both positive and negative effects for the Chinese market. Okay, thank you, Quinton. That's Quinton Webb, Asia Markets Editor at the Wall Street Journal. Iris Pang, uh, Chief Greater China Economist at ING Wholesale Banking. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.26 on the phone from Tokyo is William Pesic, journalist and author. Morning, William. Hello, William. 
Good morning. Yeah, hi. Can you hear me? Great. Um, let me ask you first of all yes, about this, this news today that the U.S. has reached an agreement with Japan uh, to, to suspend these 25% levies on steel imports. It sounds like the Biden administration is taking now uh, a very different tack with Japan compared to the Trump uh, presidency and also a very different tack compared to what it's doing with China. Very true. I mean, it's big news, certainly for the government here. I think Prime Minister Kishida has been in need of good news for the last uh, several months, given the uh, the explosion of Omicron cases in Japan and the slowing economy. So I think in many ways, the prime minister can argue that his better relations with the U.S., with President Biden, are reaping dividends for the Japanese economy. And, you know, for, for Japanese executives, this is a big deal because, you know, there's a new, there was news yesterday that Japanese companies are paying less money now, uh, let, let, you know, less money out of their profits now to increase wages than they did 30 years ago. Is this a moment where Japan will say, well, you know, we are seeing some improvement on the, you know, on the horizon. We are seeing some steps in the global economy that might give us more confidence going forward. So I think this is a big deal. Well, is there inflationary pressures in Japan? We were talking about it earlier here um, on the program in, in other markets, but Japan traditionally has had a lot of problems generating inflation, hasn't it? Partly because um, it's not really um, paying uh, paying higher wages. Are, are you seeing any signs that that's changing? Well, I mean, certainly inflation is is creeping into Japan, not to the extent you've seen, say, in the U.S. You don't see the level of panic here. The problem, I think, is that we're getting what you call bad inflation, right? It's not basically companies feeling more confident about the future, so they're going to raise prices and raise Mm -hmm. wages. It's more Japan is importing bad inflation by way of rising energy prices and rising commodity prices. But, you know, you aren't seeing the kinds of spikes here you've seen elsewhere, and the Bank of Japan is certainly not in a position where it's about to tap the brakes given what's happening in the, the broader economy. So, you know, inflation here is a concern, but it's not a great preoccupation the way it is in, say, Washington. But you have got bond yields rising, haven't you, in Japan as well. It's now at the top end of, of that band, the uh, the 20 basis points band above which the 10-year isn't supposed to rise. Is the Bank of Japan going to get concerned about that? Absolutely. I mean, their whole, you know, their, basically their whole MO at this point is what you call bond market yield, yield curve hmm. control. And hmm. any move by long-term rates in Japan to spike would hurt everyone because you know it's Japanese government bonds are where insurance companies have all their money, where pension funds have all their money, and companies and banks hold a lot of JGBs and so, and local governments as well. So, you you really I mean if if bond yields rise in Japan, it's a bigger problem than say even in the U.S. And that's why I do not expect this to be a very big problem because the BOJ is probably going to work twenty four seven to keep bond yields, you know, let them rise slowly and orderly, in and, an and orderly fashion, but no big spikes. I mean, we'll see what happens, but for the moment, I think the BOJ is on top of the problem. When we're seeing other central banks around the world, like the ECB, shift away now from uh, uh, sort of trying to keep interest rates low and turning towards fighting inflation, uh, Christine Lagarde was changing her tune um, last week. But the Bank of Japan seems to be the, the major central bank in the world now that's just going to stick, uh, appears almost forever, with its, uh, with its dovish stance. Uh-huh. Well, you know, the BOJ is in many ways trapped, right? I mean, the BOJ has been at zero interest rates uh, since 1999. They've tried their hand at normalizing things. It's never quite taken. That's why I think, you know, the world focuses on Japan so much at the moment, because 
when you look at the ECB, when you look at the Federal Reserve talking about normalizing interest rates, you say, well, Japan's been trying that for 23 years at this point, mm-hmm. and it hasn't succeeded on any level. So, you know, once you cut rates to zero, it is amazing how the entire financial system gets used to it, and they almost begin to rely on, on free money. And so Japan is an interesting microcosm of where the global economy finds itself and where it's heading in the years ahead. Sadly, we've run out of time, but thank you very much, William. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Japan right now, the Nikkei 225 is up 0.6%. Stocks in Australia also rising. Uh, the SX200 uh, climbing 0.9%. In South Korea, the Cosby has jumped 0.8%. Looks like Hong Kong stocks are going to slip slightly. Futures markets pointing to a decline of about 50 points for the Hang Seng at the open this morning. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil pretty well unchanged at $92.95 a barrel, still close to a seven-year high. Uh, Gold right now is at $1,820 an ounce. That's it from me. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. COVID special coming up after the news. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, bright periods during the day, maximum temperature of around 19 degrees and then mainly cloudy in the next few days. Temperatures will rise slightly in the middle and latter parts of this week. 16 degrees right now, 85% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Andrew Shorsky with the Half Hour News. A top virologist says all non-essential activities should be halted for at least a week or 10 days in order to bend the curve of COVID infections. Yesterday, authorities reported a record 614 infections, double the previous day. University of Hong Kong virologist Professor Malik Paris says people's activities over the Lunar New Year holidays contributed to the current spike in infections. He said a major priority now was to boost the elderly vaccination rate and keep people off the streets. If we want to bend the curve of this increasing numbers of cases, uh, we will have to probably stop all activities, all work except the most essential um, um, emergency activities for at least a week or 10 days to bend this curve. The Executive Council will meet this morning to discuss strengthening social distancing measures in an attempt to stem the growing wave of COVID cases, many linked to the Omicron variant. The controller of the Center for Health Protection, Edwin Choi, said cases would rise further, but this doesn't mean the virus is out of control. We expect there will be more cases coming in a few days, but um, we, we consider this is some um, effect after the uh, holiday events and clusters. So um, hopefully with all the social distancing measures and uh, we, we still appeal to members of public not together, um, stay at home. So we hope with these measures and also our current containment measures, we hope we can still contain the, the disease. Authorities will today convert part of the Benny's, Penny's Bay quarantine camp into a facility for confirmed COVID patients with mild or no symptoms. The government last night extended a lockdown at a block in Tun Mun. Other tests found more than 50 preliminary positive cases. Lonekit House at the Lonking Estate has been sealed off since Sunday. A block at the Fu Chong Estate in Sham Shui Po has also been placed under lockdown. President Putin has said talks with France's President Macron on the tensions surrounding Ukraine have been useful and substantive. 
Russia has amassed more than 100,000 troops on the Ukrainian border. At a joint news conference in the Kremlin, Mr. Putin said some of Mr. Macron's ideas for security in Europe were realistic. I would like to stress one thing. Of course, I understand we have a common concern over European security. And I would like to thank you for the fact that France is always trying to keep the decision-making process free and open and has provided a fair perspective since the start of the relationship. President Macron said the coming days were crucial, but he had found points of convergence with Moscow. Today, Mr. Macron will follow several European Union foreign ministers in visiting Ukraine. That's the news from RTHK.